Welcome to the Collecting Confidence Podcast, where we'll explore confidence, what it is, why we need it, how we get it, and how we lose it. I'm John Barrett. Hello and welcome to the Collecting Confidence Podcast. This is John Barrett, and today we're going to be talking to Sheila Enznauer, a speech clinician, and she's going to be talking about some of the things that goes on inside of our head, some of the talks that we have, and how we can change that conversation going on in our head. And I think one of the important things to do is to be aware of what's going on in the world around us as well and how that impacts us. William Clement Stone once was quoted as saying, you are a product of your environment. And the rest of the quote says, so choose the environment that will best develop you toward your objective. Analyze your life in terms of its environment. That's very important to be aware of that, that what is going on around you impacts you and that these are there are things that are holding you back, perhaps, things that people are saying, things that you're seeing and saying, gosh, I'm not as cute as that person. I don't sing as well as that person. Very important. I'll give a couple of tips on controlling your self-talk, and I'm not a doctor or anything, but let's say an in interested friend. So one of the things that you have to do is to acknowledge it. Acknowledge that you are having these thoughts, having these discussions that you're saying either I'm not worthy or this won't work or whatever it is that you're saying. You have to make sure that you're admitting that this is going on because we can't fix something if we don't admit that it's going on. The second thing is to see if you can identify the time, the cause, the triggers. What's making that happen? Is it when you're at work? Is it when you're at a family setting? Is it when you're out with particular friends? I have some friends who are in slightly different circles than I normally travel in. And I look at their cars and I go, wow, their cars are really nice. Mine are not. And that's an important thing to be aware of. That triggers some self-doubt within me. Understanding that and being able to move forward from it, you first have to figure out what it is. So figure out what those triggers are, if there are some. And then the next thing is to admit that there's no such thing as perfection. Now, I know there's a lot of perfectionists out there that are going to say, oh, there is perfection. And let me explain this. We, I teach this in a time management class, but perfection is a very difficult thing. Because if I give you a project on Monday and say, I'd like this done by Friday, the perfectionist will work on it and work on it again and make it better and better and better and give it to me by Friday. And it will be the best that it can be because they're perfectionists. The problem is if I say, you know what? I don't need this this week. Why don't you take it and get it to me next Friday? They'll take it back and work on it and make it better and better and better because they can. They're perfectionists. They can always find something that they can make better. They can always look at it and say, I could use better paper. I could use a better font. This could use more space. How about a graph here? They can always make it better. So it doesn't matter how much time I give them. In fact, I had a person working for me and I said, how long will it take you to do this project? And they said, how much time can I have? They just wanted all of it. Doesn't matter how much time it is. I want all of it because they're a perfectionist and they're going to keep working on it and working on it, making it better and better and better. You can always make something better. You can't make something perfect. Even perfectionists can't make something perfect. They can make it better and better. Admit that it can't be perfect and therefore good enough is good enough. Get to a point where you're okay with good enough is good enough and move on. Don't take the time kicking yourself to say, oh, that wasn't perfect. No, it will never be perfect. And if you think it's perfect, I know three perfectionists that I could give it to that would find some way to improve it. It will never be perfect. Get past that. 
The next thing is to trade in the Debbie Downers for the Happy Hannahs in your life. You want to make sure that you circle your wagons with happy people, uplifting people, with coaches rather than referees. We've talked about this before. But there's a lot of people sitting there just waiting to blow that whistle and say that what you did was wrong, it was horrible. You want to make sure that you get those people out of your life as much as possible. And you want to surround yourself with people who are uplifting. But you do need to make sure that the people around you are lifting you up and supporting you and encouraging you and moving you forward because there's no shortage of people that want to hold you down. They feel like they float a little bit higher if you sink a little lower, and so they're happy to pull you down rather than help lift each other up and raise each other up. The next thing, I think, is to find some humor. Something that can make you smile, that can make you laugh, that can take the worries away, that can give you that joyful feeling. I've joked before about endorphins. I've never seen an endorphin. I understand they're wonderful, but I don't know what they look like. I'm not a doctor, but I do know that laughter is the best medicine in most cases. And if you can find something, if you can find some way to laugh, some way to smile, that will put you in a much better position. And your internal voices will be coming at you with more of a smile. So find some some sort of humor. The next thing that's important is establishing goals. And we've talked about this before, but establishing goals is really important, mostly because you don't want to stay where you are. You want to go just about anywhere except staying where you are. That's a bad idea. So set a goal, go, get started, move. Establishing those goals is a great way to figure out how you're doing, to have small victories, to see the wonderfulnesses that are you. Uh, if you have so much time on your hand that you can sit and argue with yourself and tear yourself down and have these self-doubt talks, maybe you need more things to do. Maybe you need a new hobby. Maybe you need to start a podcast. But you need to do something because sitting around kicking yourself and tearing yourself down and saying you're not good enough is a really bad hobby. So find other things to do. Set a goal. Get moving. Get going. But don't stay where you're at because where you're at is not a great place. You need to move on. And then I think you need to get into a new routine. And that new routine might be going to a new hangout. Maybe the place that you're going has some people in it or some attitudes in it that just kind of bring you down. Maybe you need to start watching some new television. I did that this last fall. I stopped watching the news because there was just so much bad stuff on the news. That really helped, actually, because the news was bringing me down. And I found that I was a lot happier being oblivious to what was going on in the world. Now, I'm not saying we should all be oblivious to what's going on in the world, but if you bombard yourself with all these terrible news stories, then you're going to have this real bad attitude about life. Maybe start something new, like calling a friend, change your routine by doing something like that, or getting together, going for a walk with somebody. Maybe get a mentor, get a coach, get out there and do something different. But what you're doing now is not working as well as it should. To get rid of those voices in your head or to change them, you need to change your approach, your plan. And I think the last thing to do is to celebrate your victories, to make sure that you are being your own champion. It could be that no one else will be your own champion. So you have to celebrate those victories. It's real easy to look at our losses. You can even see pro athletes who will have a wonderful game. They'll win. They'll do something great. They'll win a championship and they'll still say, you know, we really had problems in that one area and we need to improve that. And they'll find areas, even though they're holding the championship trophy, they'll find areas that they're kicking themselves for. I can't believe I fumbled the ball. I can't believe I made an error, whatever it is. It's really important to be aware that you might be the only one that's celebrating those victories, but you have to take the time to celebrate the victories. There's no shortage of people that will point out your losses or point out your shortcomings. So you have to take and look at those victories, look at those strengths, change the conversation in your head. And that's what we're going to talk about with Sheila Enzenauer. So stick around. 
Thanks for listening to the Collecting Confidence Podcast. It's my belief that everyone has experience with confidence, and we either have the trophies or the scars to show for it. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review, or maybe share this with a friend who needs to hear this. If you have suggestions for the show, topics you want covered, or questions you'd like answered, or if you just want to shoot me a line, you can go to the Collecting Confidence Facebook page or contact me directly at collectingconfidence at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'd love to help you. Now let's go collect confidence. All right, joining me now is Sheila Enzenauer, and Sheila has been a speech clinician for more than 30 years in the Roger, Minnesota area. Sheila, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, John. I'm excited to have you here because I'm interested to find out about kids and the confidence that they have and what you do to help them gain confidence. But I think the first thing we have to do is to define what does confidence mean to you? That is a tough question. As it pertains to speech clinician, confidence to me is teaching kids to work with what they have and showing them the ability to do anything they want with what they have. As you are teaching these kids, what are the things that are holding the kids back or causing them to lack the confidence? Well, some of my students stutter, and stuttering certainly can be a confidence breaker. Some of my students struggle with how to pronounce sounds. The typical one would be an R, making it a W sound, or S's and Z's can come out on the side laterally or come too far forward. And for some students, that gives them a lack of confidence to speak because they know they sound different. For some of my students, it's having a very sore throat when they speak. They're what we call a hoarse throat. So we have to really work on breathing exercises and how to take care of your vocal folds so that you do not sound hoarse and raspy all the time. Would you say that the other kids are supportive of people that are struggling with this? That all depends. Some children are lovingly oblivious that they sound different from anybody else and they will go on and on for a very long time, even though you don't understand a single word they say, and they don't understand that they sound different, and that's okay. But other children are painfully aware, and they look around, and they think everyone notices every misstep they have. It's just like how we felt in junior high. Some of us were very confident and strong and didn't realize we should be worried about what other people were thinking or how they were looking at us. And some of us were painfully aware of every blink, every nuance, every uh, slight of invitation, and they live in that whole fear of, oh my goodness, everybody's looking at me different. I don't want to speak out loud because everybody's going to notice I sound different. So to be a speech clinician, there has to be a long series of training and things that gather you the skills that you need. How do you get that confidence? What was that first day like? Did you walk into class going, I am a speech clinician? Or was there a little bit of imposter syndrome where you thought, why am I here? Why am I teaching them? I actually got there by accident. When I was young, I wanted to be an Indian princess. That did not pan out. Then I wanted to be like Starsky and Hutch. I wanted to be Starsky and be a detective-like person. And I can't do guns. So that didn't go very well. I was at a class at the University of Minnesota, and it was called Communicative Disorders. I was 
my undergrad was linguistics, which is the study of languages. And I loved it, but there really aren't a lot of jobs in it unless you want to go to a third world country, dissect a language and share the Bible. And I wasn't really excited about the shots you had to have or the size of the bugs. So I said, what will I do with all this language love that I have? And I went into an intro to communicative disorders class and I said, hey, this is kind of what I do in linguistics, but it's taking language, what you know about language, and looking at how it can be disordered and how it doesn't progress the natural way we think that it progresses. So I started taking that and started loving looking at the disorder and how to fix it. Okay. And while I'd love to go back over the Indian princess and the Starsky and Hutch thing, I think we're going to move on past that, <laughs> save that, put a pin in it, maybe come back to it at a later date. No need. Uh, I want to talk about speaking in public because speaking in public is one of the greatest fears. And often we're afraid to speak out because others will hear us. And yet really speaking to ourselves perhaps should be our greatest fear because some of the times when we're talking to ourselves, those words we say to ourselves can really hurt us and hold us back. What kind of advice do you have for people that are trying to get past the negative thoughts that they have for themselves? So when I'm working with the students, luckily they are very trusting of the adults around them. And I give them a lot of positive self-talk. I try to get into their heads a little bit. Some of the students, I don't need to. They are oblivious that anybody's not understanding them, and they are just so happy to play the games and learn how to make their sounds correctly. For the students that really struggle, I do a lot of almost counseling with them, talking to them, trying to get into their head, what is it that they are perceiving others are thinking, then trying to help them through that, either pointing out, look around, nobody even sees us sitting here, let's watch the next five people go by, not one of them gave us a glance. Sometimes it's helping them, really encouraging them saying, look at you're trying that sound. Oh my gosh, you're almost there. That is fabulous. And more of that positive self-talk. Some of the students really need you to walk them through the, how do we make that sound? And why do I need to worry about this? And why do I have to do this here? Why can't I do this late at night where nobody can see me? Each student is kind of different, but it's a lot like being a coach, trying to help them get to be their best. And we talk a little bit about collecting confidence as a thing that's done over time. And the same way you get skills over time. Can you think of a kid who has gathered those skills over time, maybe so slowly that they didn't even notice they were improving? Oh, certainly. There are many students like that or ones that you don't even realize that you're helping along. I think of just recently, I had a parent contact me and say, uh, they call me Mrs. Sheila because my last name's so hard. So she contacted me and said, Mrs. Sheila, oh my gosh, my daughter is so excited. I know you've been working on the R sound, really trying her to get it. She heard the young gal that did the poem at President Biden's inauguration and found out that that girl also had struggled with her sounds. That third grade girl is so motivated. We printed off the poem and though she cannot read most of it, we really are trying line by line because she was super motivated. And I didn't realize she was that aware that somebody else out there would connect. I have so many students that would not have even made that connection that that girl had a speech impairment and they look at themselves and go, well, I don't, even though you can't understand them. 
they just are oblivious. But this third grade girl was super excited about that, super motivated. And I didn't even know. I was like, okay, that's another one that I have somewhat missed. I need to get at and to help her know, hey, what you're doing is fine. By fifth grade, for sure, this will not be a problem. Maybe by the end of third grade, don't worry about it. But yeah, I'm glad you have a motivator. I'm glad you see that gal as a role model. That's fabulous. What are the things that you think bring kids or people down and shoot their confidence? Well, certainly if you struggle with stuttering, that shoots your confidence. That is a very difficult, a difficult impairment to have to deal with when you are talking. Even now, I just did it. I took a pause. I said an um. There is a certain amount that's normal in people's speech to stutter, but there is also a certain amount that says, okay, this is a disability. And now there is some reason you are struggling to get your message out. If you can't get your message out, if people aren't going to wait for your message, people like that instantaneous, let's go, let's go. So if you stutter, that struggle is super hard to get your message out. If you struggle with your R's or your SH's or your S's, whatever your sounds that you struggle with and you can't get your message out that way, it can affect even your employment. Yes, there are people like Jay Leno that has a forward S and he's made tons of money. Um, there are other famous people that think of Barbara Walters and everybody else is going, who, who's Barbara Walters? But Barbara Walters was famous for not having a very good R sound. They actually mocked her for it. And you think, okay, she's making great money, but a lot of times people really will judge you, especially if you have to be a big speaker, you can't get your sounds out or you sound impaired when you speak. Yeah, that's one of the things that we talk about is that there are a lot of things that we do in life where people judge you and we set ourselves up for that, whether it's gymnastics or uh, cooking competitions or whatever, when we say, oh yes, I'm gonna enter my pie in the state fair, and then you set yourself up to be judged. How fair is that to us to have other people judge us and then to put a lot of weight in that versus, okay, that's your opinion and I'm moving on. And my whole job is to judge. My job is to judge your speech and then fix it to what I think sounds good. Really, I should look at, are you able to do the job? But people will judge your ability to communicate first just like they will judge your appearance. If you come in and you have purple hair and you've dyed your skin blue, they might say, maybe you shouldn't be the receptionist at our church because that's not the look we're going for. But maybe that person is really good at being a receptionist. However, your appearance, your speech can get in the way of that. There's a hospital locally, Gillette Children's Hospital, that deals with kids who have issues. And I know that they don't look at what the kids can't do. They look at what the kids can do and move on from there and say, well, here's what you can do. Let's do this. How important is that for people to focus on their strengths and to move forward based on their strengths rather than focusing on, oh, I'll never be pretty. I'll never have that body shape. I'll never whatever everyone else is doing. Always I focus on the student's strengths. So if they come to me and they are missing a whole bunch of sounds, we always look at what can you do the best? And we work from there. And we always work on, here's where you need to go. Here's where we are. No big deal. We'll get there eventually. 
we talk to the students very much so about how to get from point A to point B. So first we're going to see which sounds you kind of can do. Then we're going to see which sounds you can do at the beginning of a word. Then at the end of a word, we always are doing those little building blocks because I can tell you, you can't say an R or you can't say an S. What good is that? I can sit and take you step by step by step. I tell them all the time, I'm your coach, step by step. We're going to build your confidence so that you can make that sound by itself. Now you have that. Now take that confidence. We're going to put it at the front of a word. Oh my gosh, you're doing amazing. Now we're going to take that confidence. We're going to stick it at the end of a word. That's too hard. Let's back it up. Let's go forward. Whichever way. We're always building the confidence and we're always explaining to them, this is why we're doing it. This is where we're going. This is where you've been. My students especially love asking me, Mrs. Sheila, Mrs. Sheila, what did I sound like when I first started? I had a student do that just this morning. So I took out her folder. She's a fourth grader. I took out her folder and I said, well, this is how you used to say this word. This is how you used to say that word. And she laughs and laughs and laughs. I don't sound like that anymore. You're right. Great confidence. That's a great confidence builder. And now you've got 30 plus years of experience as a clinician. So you have some confidence. You feel pretty confident now compared to when you started? <laughs> yes, yes. I think when I started, I didn't know what I didn't know. But now I feel pretty confident, except for the whole pandemic thing that kind of threw an extra little zinger in there. But you know what? My kids are still making gains. I'm still able to dismiss kids that they've met their goal. That's, that is a big confidence builder to me that during this crazy time of in-school distance learning, hybrid, whatever we're in, that kids can still learn. They are, they are amazing. They're just amazing people. How about going back to when you were younger, some of the first jobs that you had, how confident or unconfident were you about those jobs? I think back to when I first started, I was terribly oblivious. One thing I used to do, I went to a Catholic school and I had to sing at the mass because your different grades would always be in charge of the mass. And it never occurred to me to be nervous or to be scared or anything. They told you, you're going to sing the psalm or you're going to what do the reading. And you just did it because that's what you're told to do. And so all my life, I have not necessarily been afraid to sing, but I would never want to get up in front of my teacher friends and talk about anything. I would sooner curl up under the <laughs> table. Why is that? I am super confident to stand up and sing because I don't know, I've always done that. And no one never said anything good, bad, or whatever. I just did that. When I, I used to teach swimming lessons and I was just oblivious. I taught the lessons and never thought twice about it. Never worried because I didn't know I could have worried. I don't know. I was totally <laughs> oblivious of all that. Now that I'm older, I can see that not everything always goes the way you want and you should have been nervous, but I never was. Nice. What about, I think that a lot of people lose confidence because they try to be things they aren't. They try to please other people and you can't please everyone. But why do we try so hard to do that? I think people are looking to be recognized, loved, not quite sure the right words for it. They want recognition for being acceptable, being everything in somebody else's eyes. And that's not a very realistic thing. I'm not sure how you 
can be that for other people. The best you can be is you, but not everybody's confident at that. Not everybody, like for myself, I grew up not knowing I should have been nervous. (laughs) It just didn't occur to me. I was kind of oblivious. I was very naive. But now that I'm older, I do worry I can be at a staff meeting and I'll be like, please don't call me. Please don't call me. These are my peers. So many (laughs) people I'm old enough to be their mom. Like, why am I worried? But I am because Uh now I know they are, they could be, they probably won't be, but they could be judgy, judgy. They could be sitting there commenting on anything. Oh, look at how many words she said, or she talked too long, or she didn't talk long enough. She gave enough information. She didn't give enough information. And I sit and play all those silly games in my head Uh and think, Forget it. That's why I like working with students. Students don't outwardly, they just say what's on their mind. They, right. they, they judge you, but for the sillier things, they think that you're 17 years old on your birthday, or maybe you're 25 and you say, oh yes, of course I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been working here 33 years and I'm 25. You got that right. You know? Kids- I've, talked to, I've talked to some teachers who say that they are very afraid of talking in public. And I said, well, you talk to the kids all day. Yeah. Kids aren't public. That was. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> if I was at a huge party, I would go to the kids first. That's the place I would turn to, which is a silly thing. I have to do a lot of self-talk, tell myself it's okay to be here. You need to get people talking about themselves. They love that. And that is a great way to be among adults. But I can't do that in a big speaking forum. I can't get everybody talking about themselves. I have to give a message and that's hard. (laughs) Silly, but hard. Yeah, we had Ben Brecky on the 11th episode and he was talking about that. And he said he can talk to kids all day, but he hates when he has to talk to parents because parents are adults and that's not his strong suit. If you had one tip for people as we go out here, one tip for how to either gain or maintain confidence, what would that be? Wow. One tip. I think that people need to sometimes change the conversation in their head. That's what I see with students. They do a lot of negative talk and I see that they should change the dialogue into positive talk. I think of my mom who has a very positive image of me. She has called me more than once during say the Academy Awards, the Tony Awards, and she'll say, Sheila, who is that that's singing right now? And I'll name a very famous person and she'll say, oh, you could sing as good as she does. (laughs) (laughs) You're a hoot. That's got to boost your confidence. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I just, I giggle at that confidence, but she has taught me to change the dialogue in my head. Not that I'm better than say a Lady Gaga or something like that, but that Instead of always taking that negative self-talk and say to myself, oh, I shouldn't get up in front of these people. They're going to look at me and think X, Y, Z. They're going to say LMNOP. I should change that dialogue in my head and say, I have something important to say here. I hope I can say it succinctly. I hope I can say it clearly. I hope I can get my message across, but I do have something important to say here. So I try building my own confidence. I try building the confidence in my students by changing that inner voice from that negative to that positive. 
Excellent. That's interesting that your mom thinks that you're better than Lady Gaga or Whitney Houston, because my mom told me I was tone deaf and I decided I'm just not going to listen to my mom. And I pressed on much to the chagrin of the audience and I sang anyway. So sometimes you have to not listen to those critics out there. They either mean well or they don't. But my mother must love me more. That that may be the case. Anyway, it's been great having you on. Thank you very much. And uh, maybe we can have you back on again at a later date. But thanks for being here. Well, thank you, John. Today's tip for collecting confidence is to change the conversation in your head. And that starts by changing the environment around you. This has been the Collecting Confidence Podcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm John Barrett.